Hi everybody, my name's Derwin, and I spent well over a decade in the United States Army. Some of it was on active duty, some in the National Guard. Some of it was terrifying, some of it was a lot of fun. But I wouldn't trade one moment of it, because it was the greatest journey I ever had. So thank you for joining me, and welcome to Late to Formation. I enlisted in the United States Army at the behest of my parents, which I'm glad that they pushed me to do it because uh, I was going nowhere very fast and knowing now that it's all kind of like a big theatrical game kind of puts a lot of it in perspective but at the time it was so intimidating it was so I didn't think I was going to pass right I I hadn't really been successful at anything before the military I remember thinking that if I don't pass, don't go home. I'll figure out something else. But, you know, thank God I passed because I did not have a plan. And I was not good at making plans back then. And so that first night we got off the bus, I remember sitting in a classroom. And then you had a chance to, like, give up any contraband, like if you brought any drugs or guns or whatever with you. And so some people did and some people didn't. And that was, you know, I didn't have anything on me because I was poor. I couldn't afford anything. And then after that, it was bedtime. They marched us to the barracks we were staying at. And I'm pretty sure that we slept for exactly two hours. Because we had just gotten off the plane probably at about midnight. And that would have put us at like 2 a.m. going to bed. So at like zero four, right, they woke us up because I kept hearing about something called a shark attack that hadn't quite come yet. And it turns out the shark attack was at breakfast the day after we got off the plane. And so we have like all these soldiers and like a big, we used to call it making a snake, right? So you're all like coiled, right, as you feed into the thing. And there's all this screaming going on in the chow hall. And so... Uh, by the time I get there, I'm standing next to this guy, and he turns to the lunch lady and says, I don't like this type of food. <laughs> Do you have any other food in the back? Which was the wrong thing to say, because they grab this kid by the back of his shirt, and they just, like, drag him away. And I turn to the lunch lady, and I say, I love this type of food. This looks fantastic. I'll take as much of it as you're allowed to give me. Please and thank you. And so about three weeks into basic training, it marches down to this little thing called the shop at, which is like a PX. It's like a little convenience store ran by the PX company. And there is this uh, girl working there. She's probably, you know, 20, probably some sergeant major's daughter or something. And I remember I, we were getting like soap and deodorant and basic, you know, toiletries and all that. And then she kind of smiles at me and flirts a little bit and taps my shoulder. And I just devolve into an idiotic giggle. 
And then uh, I said, thank you, ma'am, and left. <laughs> it was around this point at week three when there were some discipline problems that were starting to crop up in the company. And one of the earlier solutions that the drill sergeants had uh, was to scare us. And the drill sergeants woke us up at like one in the morning, two in the morning. It was zero dark 30, super early. And they marched us into this big briefing room. And they had a guy up front. And the dude was like, at 2,200 hours, the North Koreans sent a division size element through the DMZ, smashing allied lines. And now Seoul is cut off and they're under siege or something. It scared the hell out of all of us because we hadn't been issued rifles yet. And they said all training is halted by order of the Pentagon. And then the dude asked, do you think this is real? And I raised my hand. And he goes, it's not real, but it could be. So get your stuff together. <laughs> like, they wanted us to tighten up our shot group, as it were. Scared the hell out of me. I know that. <laughs> and so... After that, they was the rifle range week, which would have put it about a week four, I think. And I remember they had these competitions, right? I was never that great a shot, right? I, I, I knew which end of the barrel the bullet came out of, and I knew how to put it on safety. I knew how to put it on fire. <laughs> Anything more than that, I call a professional. It's so, but at the time, I was feeling cocky. It was a shooting competition between the platoons, and I somehow convinced my platoon that I was the guy to put up for the competition. And so they had you on the ground, on your stomach, shooting. And you're supposed to shoot the one in front of you, which should be your uh, target. I was shooting one to the left. <laughs> so there were no bullets that hit my target. And they didn't let me do any competitions after that. Surprise, surprise. And as basic training continued, I discovered that I enjoyed the sound of my own voice. And I used to get in trouble for talking. You know, I'd talk in formation. I'd say funny things because I was nervous. And luckily, I was the sort of guy who made friends with a lot of the ex-cons and the go to war go to jail guys and you know i remember one day i don't remember what i said but i'm sure i was being an obnoxious jerk about it and i'm in this me and this guy are like kind of not quite nose to nose but you know it's getting a little bit heated and then like it looks like we're about to fight and all those like ex-cons that i made friends with all just kind of like four or five of them like a phalanx got in between me and him and then they said hey don't you mess with lester and then i just jump over and i point i just barely get my hand over this guy's shoulder and i'm like yeah <laughs> and i was it it was a good thing that i was likable at the time <laughs> because whew, wow I could, I could talk myself into some things. There was one guy who didn't like me, and we called him Care Bear. The first week in basic training, we were in a reception. It was like a holding area, right? It's basically where they just 
piled you into groups and subdivided you from there. And so we're all in a big group and we're all sitting together. And the guy we called Care Bear raised his hand and then he said, all of us need tenderness and love in our lives. And if you need someone to cry with, I'll cry with you. And if you need someone to hold on to, we can hold on to each other. And, you know, me being a man in my mid-30s now, it's, you can understand the sentiment. Uh, at the time, I was 19, and we were all trying to put our toughest, most macho faces on. And, you know, we it was 2006, so we were wondering if we were going to be able to survive the war. That was our big question. And so his idea of us holding each other and crying our feelings out just didn't play like he thought it was going to and we all laughed at him and then we had this thing called the pugil stick fight at the end of combatives week right and it's a big ring where you call somebody out you know you've got this really thin sort of like hockey gear on right and you got this big wooden stick, and it's got a little bit of padding on it, just so you don't quite crack people's bones too much. And so I got into the ring, and I was jumping around like Apollo Creed in Rocky IV. And I was like, Care Bear, I choose you. You, come on, Care Bear, let's do this. You would be. And I didn't know that Care Bear taught uh, karate and jujitsu back home in Wisconsin <laughs> and I've never been hit in the face so many times with a giant wooden stick <laughs> oh man and I remember I don't remember much from that day because I got hit in the face a lot but I remember getting hit in the face flying out of the ring onto the ground and then my drill sergeant grabs me by my like little face mask protector thing, lifts me up by that. He goes, you fucking got him. And he just throws me in there and I'm just fucking crying. And I lost that fight five to zero. <laughs> it was, it was, a, it was not my finest hour. <laughs> Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh. I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? One of the things that happened there, which gave me such a lesson that I learned to this day, was right around week six, probably. People weren't really behaving the way they're supposed to right because people were showing up late to formation people were 
People have found out how to pick the locks that all of our cell phones were kept in, right? This was 2006, so the cell phones weren't that impressive. And so they figured out how to call taxis because there are taxis all over base. And this was before Uber was a thing. And they'd go to the PX and they'd buy unit patches for nearby units and then basically impersonate other sol soldiers from other units. And then they'd buy chewing tobacco, they'd buy a Copenhagen long cut, they'd buy marble lights, occasionally you'd find beer, and so all of this contraband stuff started popping up in the barracks, which, you know, I had developed a very interesting Copenhagen habit at the time, which I don't do anymore because, you know, I'm married. Because, you know, this had kind of turned into a party situation, right? Because I was in the one of the group showers, and then I walk out into the main bathroom stall because we had these big stalls of the bathrooms and there's like six stalls there and like 15 sinks or something and there were stacks of pizzas there and there was soda pop and there was copenhagen long cut rolls in the sinks and there was all sorts of stuff and it was a cool party and then like many things like a lot of things a bunch of angry rednecks started fighting over stuff and i don't know people started fist fighting and we had to break up the fight with the platoons and everything and then I remember one of the drill sergeants asking where this one particular soldier was, whose name I don't remember. Then he got so mad that he took his hat, his drill sergeant hat, and threw it at the kid, right, the person he was asking the question to, because the kid, was, he thought the kid was lying to him. And then I remember seeing the hat just kind of frisbee all the way to the wall and break in half. <laughs> and then... He's about an inch and a half from this kid's face, and he's screaming, I went to Iraq twice! Because a lot of these guys uh, were wound a little tight back then. These were the guys that made it through the first two rounds of the occupation conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then the army started letting them go be drill sergeants, not only to pass along their life-saving experience, but to maybe give them a chance to cool off a little bit. And so, they weren't always stable, I think. And so, problems in the company kept continuing. And at one point, there was one guy that had gotten busted getting cocaine mailed into him. Right, He's getting some pretty hard drugs mailed in. And they, that's when the drill sergeants started encouraging uh, mob violence. And... When I remember being on the drill floor, which was like, it was basically like giant cement slab underneath all the barracks, almost like a parking garage where all the platoons formed up. And then people from fourth platoon, that's where the cokehead was. Somebody ran down and said, Hey, drill sergeant from fourth platoon said that, you know, he's going to shut his door and turn up the music. And so if anybody wants to take a swing and beat up private first class cokehead, uh, now is the time, and then people just ran up there, right? <laughs> like, I didn't. But a lot of people just ran up there to just beat the shit out of this guy. And that was illuminating. That showed me just how fast the violence can turn, right? That's a little small microcosm, right? But that shows you just what you're dealing with, with human beings who are occasionally no better than animals. And that's when our leadership started treating them like animals. And so they started behaving like animals. And it kind of escalated from there. And my platoons, uh, drill sergeants, got the bright idea 
to get the six biggest guys in the platoon, right? And they had everybody meet them in the showers one at a time, you know, to explain their deficiencies within the platoon. And so one day when this was all going on, somebody walked up to me in, in a panic and said, hey man, we're both on the list. What are we going to do? And I took off my dog tags and I raised my hand and I said, I'm next. Let's go. But I knew that in a situation like that, you know, you don't hide, right? If the people, if the institution you're working for encourages mob violence, you find the biggest guy when you're surrounded and you punch him square in the jaw. So that way, the other five are going to beat the crap out of you, right? So you're, you're not getting out of that one without a bruise. But you can make one guy really remember how bad of an idea it was. And luckily, they walked me back there. And then I put my back against the wall. And they said, no, we want you to stand in the middle in between all six people. I'm like, nope, I'm not doing that. And then they said, why do you think we uh, want you back here? And I said, well because my name's on the list, right? And they said, no, because you took off your dog tags and said, I'm next. We like you. We don't want to beat you up. And I was like, oh, cool. So I can leave then. And they're like, yeah. And then I left. <laughs> like, wow, I mean, if you could, if, if you could avoid getting beat up by six people, well, <laughs> you know, and maintain your honor, you know, why not? <laughs> and they got two of my friends pretty good after that. And then after that, I started seeing signs all around the barracks. And those signs were saying, um, basically, do what we say or else, right? They were kind of instituting a culture of violence and fear, right? Which is the absolute worst way to do something. It breaks down trust because, yeah, if you don't, if you don't trust the people you're with, you know, if you think they may turn on you, well then, how can you go out of your way to save their life, right? It was a fucking mess. And things had hit a crescendo by that point. Things started to calm down a little bit. I don't know if it was the culture of violence and fear instituted within the barracks, or just the fact that it was cold in Oklahoma in December. And the heat wasn't really working. I remember we were sleeping in the barracks in our Arctic thermal sleeping bags and stuffing shirts and uniforms into the vents because for some reason it probably wasn't the air conditioning, but it was blowing cold air. And so we were just trying to stuff stuff in there to try to block the vents from blowing air and making a very cold barracks even colder. And then there was graduation, which I didn't know if I was going to get to do until a couple of days before. But the time frame being what it was, with it being 2006 and the army was short on people and there were 200,000 ground troops in combat zones, and I showed enough perseverance to make it through even though it very much didn't come naturally for me they passed me along because i was 
I think I was like 10 push-ups short of a passing PT score or something. And, you know, I was never, again, John Rambo, I was not. But, yeah, so then there was graduation. And a lot of the guys in the platoon ended up going to a whorehouse called Crystal Falls right off post at Fort Sill. I did not participate. I went to the local Applebee's with my buddy's parents and my buddy instead. <laughs> Which, well, it's probably cheaper than going to a flop house, I imagine. Although, I've never actually been to one, so I couldn't tell you for sure. And then that was that. And then I was on my way home. And I was greeted with excitement and praise. And a newfound sense of respect that I had never known before in my entire life. Uh acceptance by people i wasn't looked down on because you know when you when you're poor and you dress like you're poor people look at you funny i was looked upon with adoration and that taught me a very valuable lesson that i took with me and that was it doesn't matter how many times you fail as long as you keep trying perseverance is the most respectable trait you can have, in my opinion. Because, you know, if you show up to a project, if you show up to a work site, and everything just comes easy, well, then that's great. And that means no one has to put any extra effort into you. And you can just kind of show up and wing shit. But when things don't come easy for you, and you try anyway, like I... I was bad at a lot of army things, especially in basic training. But I figured out that if I kept trying, then I could kind of, I could do an okay job right now in basic training. Right now at age 19, I could do just enough to pass and I could figure out the rest later. You know, I could do better as I went through, right? All that really mattered was that I kept trying and it starts in that awful, awful place in Oklahoma where I learned that as long as I kept pushing through the absolute misery, as long as I kept trying to get better at something, eventually I would. The idea that you keep trying hard enough and then people who it attracts the attention of those who have already made the climb, and they will teach you how. And that is all for me today. I want to thank you for listening. Check back in next Monday morning at 0700. And you better be on time or you'll be late to formation.